Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. today's show it's time for another locked on bucks locked on celtics crossover and at the moment this week at least bucks and the celtics staying out of the news and letting uh, another team in particular take all the headlines but it has been a while since we've chatted bucks and celtics together the bucks have a new head coach the celtics made a major trade in the offseason so there's plenty to catch up on with locked on bucks and locked on celtics i'm kane Pittman. that's john corrales and uh john it has been a little while and Unfortunately, since last time we chatted, uh, both of our teams made an earlier than expected exit or earlier than expected, uh, uh, earlier than hoped yeah. exit in the postseason. We'll say that. Yeah, I'd say that that's a fair way to to uh, characterize how both postseasons went. Um, I will say the Celtics a little later than the Bucks, but <laughs> a lot later, <laughs> but still. You know, it easily could have been reversed um, with the Celtics and the Bucks kind of like jockeying for top seed position. It, yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised if the Celtics you know, met with Miami in the first round. And who knows how that would have gone. My personal opinion is that the, um, the Tyler Hero injury started this cascading kind of Milwaukee run that made – I mean, I'm sorry, the, the Miami run that made no sense. So – I don't know how it would have gone otherwise, but yeah, it's, it was a two kind of rough off seasons that saw two teams at the top make major, I would say major changes. You change your head coach, you trade your starting point guard, the longest tenured member of the team. I'd say those are major changes. Uh, I would agree with you. And I'm going to start with a question around that trade for the Boston Celtics. But first we should say that we thank everyone for making locked on bucks or locked on Celtics. Your first listen uh, Monday to thr- uh, Friday, right through the offseason as well. And just when you think there's no headlines, we have something like the James Harden situation go down. So uh, you know that you're getting the perspective from uh, Boston, the perspective from Milwaukee when stuff like that happens. So we appreciate the support. Uh, drop a like, a comment, subscribe, rate, review, do all those things. It's free to do. And it uh, helps both of our shows grow. So we appreciate it. As far as the Boston Celtics, though, and again, we look at it, at locked on Bucks, and we say, okay, what does this mean for Milwaukee? Uh, clearly, the Bucks and the Celtics uh, over the years have been on a collision course in the postseason. We thought maybe we're heading that way uh, this season again. So, can you just break down from the Boston perspective? Uh, was this trade a long time coming? It felt like potentially Marcus Smart was always in the mix, but now to go down the path of bringing in an L five with Pazingas, what's the what's the thought process here? I think the thought process is twofold for Boston. One, they're going with Joe Mazzula. Joe Mazzula is, you know, he, he, he got the team under rough circumstances beginning of last season, was elevated midway through the season, and now there's no doubt that they're going full bore Mazzula ball, which is more spread, which is more three-point heavy, which is less – point guard driven 
setting your team up from the top of the key. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I had been saying on Lockdown Celtics is Celtics had two choices during the season. They either, and what they did at the beginning of the season was what I'm saying here, the, the first point, go with Marcus Smart as your your basically your point guard, your starting point guard, run the offense through him, run pick and rolls, have Tatum and Smart, uh, Tatum and Brown off the ball, kind of catching the ball on the move and just have that ball movement, just quick, 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 0.5 basketball and run your offense that way, which was successful at the beginning of the year. Or you go through Tatum and Brown and you kind of have uh, a group of people bringing the ball up, but Tatum and Brown do a bulk of it and you move Marcus Smart. If you're going to have Tatum and Brown bringing the ball up and have Smart in the corner spotting up, well, he's just not a good enough shooter, and and that goes back to using him in the worst way possible. And they decided to lean into having Tatum and Brown bring the ball up, and, and that made Smart kind of expendable. On top of that, the second part is the Celtics' failures at the ends of shot clocks at the end of games. The Celtics have not been able to really figure out how to close games and how to kind of manage the end of shot clock. And Porzingis comes in as a a kind of last resort option in those situations where Tatum and Brown can dump it into him. His post-up numbers last season were off the charts. Historically, they haven't been. So there's kind of you're kind of hoping that last season was the breakout and beginning of something new versus the aberration. But at the end of a shot clock, when the Celtics all of a sudden find themselves with seven seconds left, and now they're stuck after their first action doesn't work, now you can get it to Porzingis, and at least you can get a decent shot off because he's 7-3 and he's going to shoot over the top of just about everybody in the league. So leaning into Missoula ball, getting one of your worst shooters off, not really focusing too much on the defense, what Marcus Smart excelled at, focusing more offense first, spreading the floor, which Porzingis can obviously do, and then giving Tatum and Brown that option to dump it into him late in clocks when they get double teamed or whatever, uh, and maybe he can prevent some of that double teaming as well. I think that's all part of why Porzingis, when he became available, became such an uh, enticing option for Boston. Okay, so two-part question then. Where do you sit on this change or leaning into the Missoula ball, as you described? And then what is your sense from your listeners? And I'm sure it's mixed like it always is, but is there a consensus on, uh, yep, all right, we're happy to move on to this phase and go down this path or not? No, there's no consensus. There never is a consensus. (laughs) Uh, And Marcus Smart is a bit of a polarizing player. I happen to be a very pro Marcus Smart guy. Mm -hmm. I think he's a really, really good point guard. He's a tremendous passer. Uh, Obviously, the shooting has something to be desired, but if he is starting at the top of the key and running an offense and passing out of the pick and roll, he's very, very good at that. And if you limit the shot opportunities, he can actually hit a few of those shots. The shots that drag his percentage down, I think, are the uh, the times where he thinks, okay, I- I've got to bail these guys out. And and so I don't know if that's going to be the case on Memphis. We'll, we'll see. But I think he's a really, really good point guard. And the people who agree with me are like, oh, this sucks. But if you're going to go with Missoula and, and, and that's going to be the team direction, whether I agree with it or not, 
now this is what it is. So because they're going with Missoula, because they're leaning into this, then I do agree that Marcus Smart doesn't fit that quite as well. So as much as I wanted Boston to play a different style, now that they have decided not to play that style, I'm, I have to admit, like, okay, well, I can't get mad at trading Marcus Smart because he doesn't fit what you're trying to do. So I can be mad at what you're trying to do, but now if I'm analyzing it from how do you move forward from this, then Smart being out and Porzingis being in, that makes a lot of sense because you you don't you don't lose much as far as you know defensively. Yeah, you lose something on the perimeter, but you gain something at the rim. So by having Porzingis at the rim, you inherently make the perimeter defenders a little bit better because I think drivers are going to be a little more scared, especially if Robert Williams is back there as well, a little more afraid of attacking the rim. So it makes your perimeter defenders a little bit better. Porzingis can pull up from 25 feet, no problem. He's got a quick release. So he can play the five out. If you want to play with Porzingis and four wings and guards, you can do that. You can post him up. So in the style of offense first, Joe Mazzula preferred basketball, especially when you bring in some of these assistant coaches, a guy we poached from the the Milwaukee Bucks, Charles Lee, which I think is going to be huge for them defensively. And Sam Cassell, that experience that they, they bring, I think that all adds up to being a net positive for this direction that Boston's going. So I'm glad that you mentioned the coaching staff there because I, I do want to ask you about the challenges of a new head coach. The Bucks obviously bringing in Adrian Griffin. And then maybe you can flip it uh, to me towards some, some Bucks uh, thoughts that you may yeah. have as well. But we're going to continue that after we talk about uh, FanDuel Sportsbook, the sponsor of today's podcast. Uh, and football season is about to kick off and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long because right now when you bet on the Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you'll get bonus bets back for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over and unders and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and you can get started there. And I've been referencing the last couple of weeks, FIBA World Cup coming up, USA the favorites. Canada, no Jamal Murray. They're now uh, equal second favorite with France and Australia. Uh, just a big injury blow overnight. Jock Landau not looking good for the Aussies. But they're the fourth favorite uh, for the tournament as well. So you can get all the FIFA World Cup odds at FanDuel. So as I said, FanDuel.com slash locked on. Uh, that's America's number one sports book. Remember, FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Uh, keep it locked on Bucks and locked on Celtics over the next few weeks. And we will be rolling through the FIBA World Cup off-season content. Before we know it, training camps will be here uh, and the regular season will tip off. So we're just starting to warm up a little bit on the Locked On Podcast ne- Network. So make you make sure you keep uh, checking out both of these shows. A new head coach, John. Yeah. Uh, now, this is the only pushback I've got. And you see it a little bit. Well, the Bucks are just running it back. Same thing, same team. A significant change when you change the head coach. They were so sturdy. They were so steady with Mike Budenholzer on the sideline, whether you liked him or didn't like him. Uh, before, maybe you've got some questions about the Bucks. Joe Mazzola. Now, this was a very different situation. Yes. But we've discussed on this podcast, as certainly I have, expect some teething problems and some growing pains, perhaps, as Adrian Griffin tries to figure out the way he wants to play. Uh, playing around Giannis, some of the new players that will be coming off the bench. Uh, what was 
and there were a lot of challenges through the year. But what was it like with a new head coach in that circumstance trying to work through some of these kinks? Because let, let's be honest, it took uh, the majority, if not all, of the season. Yeah, it, it's it's tough for and now it is a very different circumstance. Yes, because Missoula got the got the team uh, days before media day. He didn't hire his own staff. He mm-hmm. kind of went in with uh, Ime Udoka's plans and tried to tweak them accordingly from there. So it's hard to make the apples to apples comparison. Um, but the the first time head coach is going to need help from his players and from his staff. And I think one of the things that hurt Missoula last season was the confusion around the circumstances. And if there's any parallel between Milwaukee and Boston, it might be the kind of question of, did we really need to fire this head coach? There might be some players around or there might be some people around saying, we scapegoated this guy. And, you know, for whatever reason. Now, maybe his time had just run its course there and you don't make a, a move like that without kind of Giannis Antetokounmpo's blessing. So that's a little bit different. And if Giannis is on board, everybody else has to get on board. That's how it goes. But if there's any sort of lingering kind of question, then that has the potential to throw at least like stop sticks in the road that could get you a flat tire along the way. So I think the important lesson out of this, this past season for Boston is how do you make up for of experience on the sideline? Now it's a little different because Adrian Griffin has been around and he's a, a former NBA guy. There's another major, major difference. Missoula, his only head coaching was a division three or like he, he, I mean, he division one, it was a, a low level college. Maybe it's division two. I'm just going to average it all out and say it was division two. <laughs> um, it was low level, quick couple of seasons. He had a few seasons on the sideline. He didn't have that feel for the game. So I think one thing with Griffin is he has that type of feel for the game that is necessary for a new head coach. And not only is he um, coming into it with a, a, a uh, an NBA career behind him, he had an NBA career of like averaging four points a game, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he had to be good at a lot of things. He had to see a lot of things. And this is where the comparison is more to Ime Udoka, I think, than, than, uh, Joe Missoula, because Griffin is the role player. Udoka was the role player. He spent a lot of time as an assistant coach uh, learning the game. You know, he's been an assistant coach for, what, 15 years or so? So he has a long track record playing, bouncing around, coaching, bouncing around, learning from different players, learning from different coaches. So I think the greater comparison is for Griffin to come in and have that Udoka-like Rolodex of, 
I remember in this city, we did it this way. I remember this coach coached this way. I remember we had a guy who was pissed off about this exact same thing back in Toronto and it was handled this way and it was wrong. I'm going to do it differently. He has that depth of knowledge that is going to be really, really important. Still a first year head coach. It's still different in that seat. It's still different figuring out when you have to call the timeouts and when to get on the refs and when to yell at your team and all of that stuff. But he's been through it. Joe Missoula had none of that. And that hurt. And I think that's where I always refer to Missoula as a paint by numbers coach last year. He had his analytics. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew the three point rate. He said to me specifically, three point rate is the most important stat in, in the NBA. And it's like, well, is it really? But that's what he, he was going by. And so very long winded answer to say that it's, I don't see these as similar situations at all. I see it as much more, closer much closer to what Udoka was in his first year in Boston and he had a level of success because he knows how to deal with those stars he's been around them all he's he's been on this bench he's been on other benches with with you know big name big ego guys he kind of gets it and that long long history in the NBA uh gives him a wide swath of different styles he's seen the NBA change and evolve he knows a lot more about what works and what doesn't than than Missoula does. Yeah, and the Udoka point is also uh, a valid one in the idea that the Bucks maybe they won't be as stable as they have been during the regular season right from opening night because uh, we all know that Boston team, around 500, then they go on a big run, they were able to figure some stuff out, and obviously they were uh, really good in the playoffs that year as well. So it's something to watch with Adrian Griffin. The one thing I, I would say is, well, you made a good point about the assistant coaches. So uh, Milwaukee, perhaps in preparation for a first-time head coach that may have some of those moments where it's like, okay, this, this is a lot. What's going on here? Terry Stotts is there. Joe Prunty, yeah. two guys two guys that have been around. So I think uh, for Bucks fans, that gives you a level of comfort. But if we just talk purely the roster, Chris Milton, Brooke Lopez, signing those guys was a big target. Other than that, you bring back Jay Crowder. We didn't really see anything of him last year. Malik Beasley, yeah, add to coming off the bench. So this is a team that was booted out in the first round last year. So as you look at it from the Celtics perspective, how do you view the Bucs? Yeah, I mean, I still view the Bucs as dangerous. I think Giannis' injury is, yeah. you know, the. I don't look at the Bucks Heat series as indicative of future results. Um, again, first of all, Giannis got hurt. And I don't think anybody took Miami very seriously. And Miami, so obviously Miami comes in with a chip on their shoulder. Hero goes out. And then all of a sudden, they the, the guys who step in for Tyler Hero, rather than having a defensive liability out there that you can attack, you have better defenders who started shooting better than Tyler hero ever did. You're like, what is going on? Like I saw, I saw it happening in Boston the same way you guys saw it happening in Milwaukee. And I was like, this, this can't hit, this can't last, right? This can't be happening all series long. And it just kept, kept going and going and going. So you, you lose one. Cause you don't take them very seriously. You lose a second one. Cause it's like, all right, that was an average. Now you're like, Oh damn. Now they've got the confidence your main guy is hurt and not able to help you out as well as he should. Jason Tatum sprains his ankle in game seven. 
and and that you know ruins what what would have been a historic comeback. I don't think Miami is is that good to make that kind of run again. That was special. Congrats to them. They earned it, but they played above their heads. So Milwaukee, I don't see them as like on the decline per se, but I do see Milwaukee and Boston in the same boat in that this ain't lasting much longer because that second apron is hanging out there. And I think Milwaukee and Boston are two of the teams that are going to have tough, tough decisions to make. You can't pay Giannis almost $50 million and Drew Holiday like $40 million and, Hmm. you know, Chris Middleton $30 million. Like it's just too much money. And the thing the Bucks have that Boston doesn't is an age issue where Boston's guys are still they're Tatum and Brown are just entering their primes. You know, Giannis is is there, but Holiday is basically done. Lopez is basically done. Uh, how much time does Chris Middleton really have left at that high, high, high level? So it's you're relying on really kind of older players that have the older players in your team are more important than the older players on Boston's team minus Al Horford, who might be minimized a little bit and brought to the bench. Um, so that's, I, I think Milwaukee, Boston, this upcoming season will still be a battle. It's just a matter of how much longer is Milwaukee, Boston going to be a battle. And if any team is going to maybe have really, really bad luck, I'm going to put it on Milwaukee even though Boston's injury luck with Porzingis and all that is, is is certainly right there. I think Milwaukee's age puts them a little bit ahead of Boston as far as risk to lose somebody much more important and kind of reshape the top of the East. Uh, seems fair, and we have seen it the last two years. Now, uh, a little bit unlucky. Middleton slips in a wet spot. Giannis, Kevin Love tries to take a charge. Ridiculous play anyway. Lands on his back. Uh, so these things can happen. Accidents can happen, but... Uh, we did discuss this on yesterday's show, and I still had. And keep in mind, yes, Miami are probably a wild card. We'll wait and see what happens with that roster, and some things can change. Philadelphia, right? As of today, looks like a disaster. Who knows what happens there? So I still have Boston and Milwaukee on a tier of their own. Yes. You're coming with me with this uh, line of thinking. Yes, absolutely. I, and especially considering uh, that Philadelphia is just not not interested in taking any advantage of Boston, you know, kind of look Boston loses and and they trade away their their longest tenured player, their de facto captain, the former defensive player of the year, their starting point guard. Milwaukee loses, they trade away their head coach who had won a championship. Uh there's I don't want to call it turmoil. There's not turmoil in these cities, but there's I don't know, somewhere below upheaval, but above retooling, there's the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. There's somewhere in there where it's like a a smattering of um, anxiety in these two cities. And here's Philadelphia ready, like, okay, all you you got Joel Embiid, the MVP. You got your guys. You got a team that played pretty well during the regular season. All you need to do is have James Harden back in the fold. And you can you can figure out along the way maybe minimums and something that can kind of support that, and they can't do it. 
James Harden is just blowing the whole thing up. Daryl Morey doesn't know what he's doing anymore. It's just ridiculous to see the Sixers in a position to kind of ascend into that top three. Are I don't even know if Joel Embiid is going to be on that roster by the end of the season. I think both those guys can go by the end of the season. Prime opportunity. And they're like, nope, we're not going to take it. So Boston and Milwaukee hanging out up top. I don't think Cleveland's going to be able to make that leap. I don't see anybody else. Unless Miami gets Damian Lillard, maybe they can kind of ascend to that third seed. But I don't know. that Whoever the third seed is, just looking down that list, I'm not afraid of any of these teams. Uh, so I think, I think once again, on paper, we head into this season. Milwaukee and Boston, 1-2, and it's just a matter of what your zip code is, who do you believe is one, and who do you believe is two? Yeah, not perfect teams right now for all the reasons we've discussed on this show, but yet they just still do feel like they are above the rest. And we discussed this. Uh, remember that little fleeting period of time when the Eastern Conference was back as a power? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was fun. It doesn't feel like the case. It doesn't feel like that. It was like two months last season. It was like, whoa, and nah, not anymore. <laughs> hey, uh, before we wrap this up, I need an update on an old friend of the Milwaukee Bucks, Malcolm Brogdon. And it's interesting Ooh. because he came into last year a situation a role that really is so perfect and it's like keep the minutes down bring him off the bench get him to the postseason healthy and even still he wasn't able to do so then there was the trade stuff then there's Mm. some reports of the relationship needs to be repaired where are we at with malcolm brogdon (laughs) well um he currently is rehabbing that elbow forearm tendon thing uh, that that crushed him. Yeah, yeah. The the snapping of a tendon in his arm or whatever uh, that that rendered him useless against Miami. Um, it's so so. Let's go back to the beginning with with Brogdon. He came over as you know recruited by Ime Udoka and Brad Stevens, and so he was always going to be a six man, but I don't know how much of the role was going to be different with Udoka because Udoka, while accepting that three-pointers are a huge part of the NBA, he just was not offense first. He was a defense. He is a defense first coach. So I think his emphasis, his points of emphasis, were going to be a little bit different. And that means the late game execution was going to be different. The types of plays, the types of offense that they run late game was going to be different. Brogdon essentially came in as a, a shooter and why he did get to the rim plenty, but he took a bunch of three pointers and that was it. Uh, he didn't create for other people. He had trouble, uh, getting on the same page with Robert Williams, uh, who missed half, almost half the season coming back from that meniscus surgery. He never really got there. We keep joking in Boston about how Brogdon never throws an alley-oop to Robert Williams. Just can't get that pass out. Uh, So that's going to have to be an adjustment moving forward. Then he gets hurt, and the trade thing happens. And there is some fence mending that needs to be done because he was traded. There's no doubt about it. The deal was done. And then the Clippers kind of like 
took too long to say yes we're actually we're 100 in on this they're like yeah we'll do it but, but hold on a second and when when time started to run out because porzingis had an extension that he needed to make a decision on boston pivoted and said you know what no time for you we're going with marcus smart he's more expendable so we're going with marcus smart and brogdon was i'm assuming that he was kind of told you saw it he saw it on social media you had to that he was traded and now to not be traded. It's just, there's a, a hard feeling there that that's going to be tough to recover from. So can he get over that? I mean, he's, he's a pro. If you, if you look up the definition of NBA pro in the dictionary, Brogdon's the guy. Um, so I think he can get past it, but he also can do the math. He will not be a member of the Boston Celtics next season because that 22 million, there's a reason why the 22 million, 22 and a half, was going to be part of the trade because mm-hmm. it's the exact contract the Celtics need to move to stay below that second apron. Next season, you can move Brogdon and you can stay under that second apron and keep Brown, Porzingis, and Tatum for one more year and then make your decision again after that how you want to pursue how, uh, proceed. So Brogdon knows that even if you mend the fence, he's gone after this season anyway. So... It's it's a very difficult situation, and he needs to be able to come in and mesh with Robert Williams. He needs to come in and be able to mesh with Jalen Brown. The numbers with him and Jalen Brown were not good. He needs to be able to be on the floor with Brown and Tatum, and that the trio of numbers. He was fine with Tatum because everybody's fine with Tatum. It's like playing with uh, Jokic or something like that. You play with the best player, your plus minus is going to go up. But his his plus minus with with Brown on the floor was not good, and that needs to change. So. Is he going to come in and be committed enough for Boston to fix that so he can be on the floor late in the game and you can have Brogdon, Derek White, Tatum Brown, and Porzingis and run maybe a little bit more traditional pick and roll but also have floor spacing everywhere? If he can't do that, Boston's going to be in trouble. But if he can do that and get through it and say, hey, I'll suck it up one more season, maybe I can get out of here with a ring, and then next summer you can trash Boston in the media, that's fine. But that that's kind of be one of the questions uh, where where Bo- that Boston's gonna have to figure out uh, this season. Uh, my partner Frank Madden on this podcast is smiling when you're talking about Malcolm Brogdon not making the right pass because he on every single one of these podcasts would say Brogdon get the ball to Giannis in transition, don't <laughs> hold on to the ball. It was a yeah, it was a running bit on this podcast for a long, long time and a fine player. Uh, but uh, so far to this point. Not a pass first. Been able to stay healthy, hasn't been able to do that. Just yeah. not quite there. Yeah, they they need him to just be able to make that next right play. Yep. And I think I think that that's the same thing. It's the same Brogdon, you know, where he would turn a corner and a guy would be open, and you say, "Ooh, there it is," and and maybe he'd get to the rim anyway. But there are plenty of times over the course of the season it was like, yeah, he's going for Malcolm Brogdon. For all of the he's a pro, he's the president, he's like all this great stuff, he is kind of a selfish player. <laughs> yes, well, hey, as I said, there will be many Bucks fans that uh, are remembering back to those days when he was awesome for the Bucks as well. This is rookie of the year Malcolm also Brogdon. very also- good. Yeah, six man uh, of the year Malcolm Brogdon. Very good, but also not 100% of what Boston wanted. And so that extra 15% – is is going to be the difference between maybe the getting to the finals versus losing in the conference finals. 
Well, as I said right from the top, and we, we do this all the time, and we uh, have so many topics to talk about with the Bucks and the Celtics, because right now, if I had to pick, and so many things can happen, but it still looks like these are going to be the one and two teams uh, that the rest of the East is chasing throughout the season. So I'm sure we'll do it again through the regular season. John? Absolutely. Always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, same here, man. Thanks for having me on, and I'm looking forward to many more of these during the course of the season. All right, make sure you check out Locked on Bucks and Locked on Celtics rolling right through the offseason. The regular season will be here before we know it. Um, We will catch you both tomorrow.